0: All that we do is centered around the one great fact that Jesus gave us a commission. And that commission is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples of, of, of the people that we uh, get converted to the Lord Jesus. What an assignment that is. It's in Matthew 28:19. If you've never read that, it's a great, great passage. And it tells us about what we're supposed to be doing. And it also defines the activity of the church in the book of Acts. If you want to find a a program of God's blessing and God's growth, read the book of Acts. It's uh, entitled officially The Acts of the Apostles, but it probably should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, because those apostles, those first disciples of the Lord, realized their total dependence upon the Holy Spirit and uh, his ministry. You see, it was in that upper room in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 when they were Filled with the Holy Spirit, amen. Came down of that upper room and began evangelizing and speaking in all the languages of the people that were gathered together there at Jerusalem on that day, amen. And each man heard in his own tongue the gospel preached. Isn't that exciting? Did you know the Holy Spirit can do that? Can speak other languages, diversities of tongues, in other words. What a wonderful gift that is. And I know of individuals that have gone to mission fields that God has given them the language when they got there. That's an exciting thing, isn't it? So that church came down out of the upper room equipped with the Holy Ghost power to go about and do the Great Commission. Amen. And in fact, the Bible said on the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 that were won to the Lord that day. And the last Verse of the second chapter of Acts tells us, and the Lord added unto the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, what a wonderful thing the church is, that God had in his eternal plan and program this gathering together of hearts and minds converted and regenerated by the washing through the blood of Jesus, the new creatures in Christ Jesus, they became servants of the Lord. You see, it's one thing to know him as Savior, it's another thing to know him as Lord. Amen. Many people know him as Savior. They never really know him truly as Lord. When he becomes Lord of your life, when you have surrendered your life to him and he becomes your master and you become his servant to do whatever the Lord wants you to do, that's a tremendous step in your walk with God when you get past just recognizing him as Savior and recognizing him as Lord of your life. And that's what had to happen in all the lives of the disciples and the apostles as they went out from Jerusalem and began to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, the Bible said you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That church was so endowed with power that great miracles accompanied their ministry of preaching the word. Oh yes, they preached and they taught and they did all the evangelism things, but God confirmed the message with signs following believers. There were great things that happened by the hands of the apostles that they laid their hands upon people and they received their healing and and so much that there went out from the bodies of the apostles handkerchiefs and aprons that were laid upon sick people and they were healed of whatsoever disease they had. In fact, there was one occasion when all the sick folks were gathered up and carried up to Jerusalem and the Bible said, and the Lord healed them all. Healed them all. Wouldn't it be something if we could just get enough ambulances, Natalie, to gather up all the people in the hospitals and all the people in the nursing homes and all the folks that had the misfortune as I had last weekend of laying at home in bed with the flu and gather them all up and bring them to the church and God just healed them all. Wouldn't it be something to pick up your paper in the morning and read, great happening at the church on Sunday. Many came That were sick and afflicted and god healed them all what a headline that would be well that's the kind of thing that was going on in jerusalem back in those days just after the outpouring of the holy spirit news just spread like wildfire among people of the great things that god did and the more things that god did The more the people believed and the more the people gathered. And the Bible said, and the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And the number of disciples increased. So the church was growing. The Lord was adding to the church. In one of my dissertations that I did in seminary, one was about the growth of the church. And in research, I discovered a man named Gibbon who was a first century historian. And he gave five reasons why he believed that the early church grew and prospered. Number one was their zeal and their enthusiasm for the Lord. Wow. Well, we would call that get stirred up, wouldn't we? Yeah, get stirred up. Did you know Jesus stirs people up? In fact, the Bible said in the Gospels that he stirreth up the people. One of the complaints about Jesus was he stirreth up the people. Wow. When Paul went into Athens, the Bible said there was no small stir in that city. Amen. You see, when you get stirred and enthused and zealously affected, then great things happen. Growth happens. You know, this world is waiting on the church to become zealous and enthused about their faith. That's one of the great things about Pentecost that really took hold around turn of the century in 1906 and the revival of Azusa Street when people went out from there and their gifts were were multiplied and you saw saw healings and you saw miracles take place because people got zealously affected and enthused about their salvation. I would just one more time for the Lord comes back. I wish I could pastor a church that everybody got enthused. I'd like to pastor a church one time that everybody was zealous and was enthused, enthusiastic about serving the Lord. We can get enthusiastic about football, can't we? We get enthusiastic about all kind of other things, but wow, wouldn't it be great if we could get enthused about serving the Lord and enthusiastic and zealous about serving him and doing the things that he assigned for us to do. Wouldn't that be great? Second reason the church grew, according to Gibbon, was their belief in the future life. Hey, they had hope. They, they believe that we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through here, we're waiting on a trumpet to sound and we're going to be a part of God's eternal purpose and be gathered to him. They believe the responsibility of the present was a determining factor in their future life. They believe that God had something so much better. We need to preach a gospel to this world that God has got something planned for them that is so much better than all the depression that's going on around us. The third reason that church grew was their personal purity. They made the principles of their faith the practice of their living. It wasn't just something they professed, it was something they practiced and carried out every day. Reason number four was the love that was in that church. The difficult times, though they had persecution, opposition, they maintained an optimism and a hope, and they blessed and helped one another, prayed for one another, and they stuck together, and God just used the love that they had one for another. Fifth reason was the power that was in that church. The power that was in that church made them a strong, attractive force for desperate individuals to turn to. You see, I believe the world is waiting right now on a church that has some power. I think the world is waiting on a pulpit that can preach with power. I think the world is waiting on people that sing with anointing and sing with the power and sing with the Spirit and sing with zeal and sing and preach and worship with zeal and enthusiasm. Wouldn't that be great? I agree with you, Mr. Historian. Those are good reasons why the church grew. But the greatest reason that I know that that church grew is God was with them. God was with them. Them. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5. The f- disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Antioch. And in the lesson before us today, the apostles are first called a church. This is the first mention that a church was involved in what they were, call, were called out. That means the ecclesia, it means called out ones. People that the Lord had separated to do service in his, his kingdom. The fifth chapter starts like this, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to tell you, when God is doing good and people are getting healed and disciples are being made, the devil will always try to find a place to intervene and find a place to stop the progress. Always does. And sadly enough, the demise is not from without, it's from within. Amen. The devil has found out that he's not going to stop the church by bombing and burning and kill it. No, that just fans the flame. That just makes the church grow grow more than it ever has before. Many missionaries would tell you that, that the more the persecution is, the greater the rate of growth happens. Amen. We live in a country where we don't have a whole lot of persecution, don't have a lot of opposition, although I want to warn you that that's in our future. under the anointing of God I'm telling you that in our future you're going to have to fight for what you believe in our future you're going to be criticized and called on the carpet for what you believe we're not too far away from that right now and these battles that we fight about abortion and about other things that are real close to our heart I'm telling you that's going to be an all-out fight for the church in fact I read this last week where people had declared war on the church Their motive is to destroy the influence of these Judeo-Christian principles that we have and our morals that we have and accept the culture of the world in which we live. And I want to tell you, I am never, ever going to accept the culture of this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever and forever. Our greatest hope is to hold to God's unchanging hand. Our greatest hope is to take this manual that God gave us to live by and preach it and live it and sing about it and be zealously affected about its message. Well, give God some praise, that's good. So Ananias and Sapphira was gripped by a carnal nature and a carnal mind. Anytime the Holy Spirit is doing a work, carnality will try to raise its ugly head. And the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the laws of God. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That battle between carnality and spirituality is very real. It's real in your heart. It's real in church. It's real in everything that we do. Is that difficulty between and that contrast and conflict between the spirit and the flesh. Well, there was a great man that did something great for God. His name was Barnabas. Who is Barnabas? Barnabas' sister, Mary Mark's brother at the church at Jerusalem. Barnabas... We all have a friend day and we usually preach about Barnabas because Barnabas was the friend that Paul carried with him to meet the church and spoke up for him. And his name actually means son of consolation. He was such a generous person and he just given generously and did a generous deed and had such a name for being generous and being a humble and a great disciple. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that. And they said, we want that kind of influence. Did you know influence is power? Say it with me. Influence is power. Did you know the power that usually stops a move of God is someone influencing someone against the move of God? You see, when God is doing something great, Satan is always concocting a scheme and a plan to stop it. So the devils put in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be admired like Barnabas was. They they were full of envy because they wanted the influence and the reputation that Barnabas had. Everybody seemed to like him and thought he was a great guy and admired the way he went about living his life. And they wanted that kind of influence too. And so they had a piece of property. They thought we'd sell it and told everybody, we're going to give it to the church. Well, I want to tell you, money can never buy you acceptance in God's sight and God's economy. God looks at money and says, that's filthy. God looks at money and says, that's something just to make you, make you trip and fall. Yeah. In fact, the Bible said the love of money is the root of all evil. And for a Christian who is a servant and cause Jesus Lord to allow money to intervene and come in and start ruling and reigning means that something carnal has taken place. We must never let anyone dethrone or anything dethrone the Lord Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Well, Sapphira became a part of it, and, and so Ananias came in and he, he said to the, the church, he said, I'm gonna give this money to the church, but when they sold the property and they realized the sum, they said, let's just give part of that then. Wow. A certain man named Ananias, when they went to the, to the church, the apostles, it was Peter that responded. It was Peter that said to Ananias, Ananias, why hath Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not in your own hand? After it was sold, was it not yours? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart, thou hast not lied to men? but you've lied to God. Now, why does God take so seriously things we say at church? Boy, got quiet, didn't it? Why does God get so serious about what goes on at church? Because Peter here says that things we say we will do in the church are things we say that we're going to do to God so God takes what we say to be very serious and when we make commitments we don't keep then God takes that very seriously now there's a reason why God took that very seriously and why God responded as he did I'll touch on that in just a minute Ananias why have you let Satan put it in your heart when Peter said this Ananias must have been crushed certainly But he was crushed, not because he was sorry for doing it. He was crushed because he got found out. I said he was embarrassed and he was affected because he got found out. And listen at the Holy Spirit working through Peter because Peter did not know what had happened. The Bible said it just came to him. How did Peter know they kept it back? It's called the gift of knowledge. It's called the gift of discernment. When the Spirit works in the church, then the gifts operate in the church. Come on, somebody. So when Peter walked in, the Holy Spirit told him, said, that's not all of it. So the Spirit, through the gift of discernment and the gift of knowledge, helped Peter understand what the real problem was. The word kept back is nosfemosai, and the same thing that happened to Achan. You remember when Achan in Jericho, when they took the battle of Jericho, and the Bible said that God told them, Don't touch the spoils. Leave the spoils alone. Don't touch the spoils. But there was a man named Achan. And yeah, he had an aching, breaking heart. And the Bible said that he saw, that's that's one of the entry ports, he saw a Babylonian garment and he saw a wedge of gold and it was obvious I can take that if I want to and so the Bible said he went and he took the wedge of gold and he took the Babylonian garment and he went over to his tent and he dug a hole in his tent and he put it in the hole and he covered it up and then he came back out as if nothing's happened, I'm all right. But when the church went to fight the battle at a little town called A.I. Joshua was told, Joshua 7 is where this is recorded. Joshua was told, you don't need to take a big army up there. That's just a little town. Just send a a token force up there. They'll quit. They won't fight. So he took a token force up to A.I. And buddy, did they misjudge A.I.? Because A.I. whipped them and killed 36 Israelites, church members, in the fight. You see, we count our casualties in in souls. And when Joshua went to God, he said, God, I'm just following your leadership. I'm following your, your instructions i did exactly what you told me to do and god said joshua there is sin in your camp so we have a principle there that if there's disobedience and transgression of the law of god that we will be unsuccessful in our bid to win the world for jesus come on somebody if there is sin if there's unconfessed if there's something that God is offended by, and boy, did God deal severely about that. And the same word that is used for what Achan did is used here in the New Testament for what, though it was a Jewish word there, it's a Greek word here, it means the same thing. That it, it literally means to steal. I'm sorry, that's exactly what it means. So then God is saying, why has Satan put it in your heart to steal? Boy, that's a hard word, isn't it? Hard word. But God dealt with that. And why did God deal with him so severely? The story of Ananias and Sapphira to the book of Acts is what the story of Achan is in, in Joshua. So then, God, how do we, how do we proceed? And what, what do we do? Sadly, that spirit of Ananias and Sapphira that cost them their lives I mean, the Bible said immediately after Peter approached him, he fell in the floor and breathed his last, the Bible said. Wow. And then comes Sapphira. And she comes in and and Peter asked her. He said, did you give all of the money that you pledged? She said, oh, yes, every bit of it. And when she was caught up, the Bible said the same thing happened to her. Now, why did God deal so severely with that situation because his church was so vulnerable. It wasn't strong like it is now. It wasn't in South Africa and Europe and, and Asia and other continents. It wasn't all over the world like it is now. It was confined to one place and it was vulnerable and God realized if I let Satan corrupt my church at this point then certainly they will be doomed to failure. If my church is embarrassed before the world by this carnal, fleshly, heinous deed, then their success will be limited and they'll not be able to do what I've assigned for them to do. And so God dealt very harshly with them and they paid the penalty with their life. You see, the church, G. Campbell Morgan says this, the church has never been harmed or hindered by opposition from without. It has always been perpetually harmed and hindered by perils from within. In other words, we are our own worst enemy. We stumble over ourselves in our effort to win the world for the Lord. We have to overcome the hurdles that selfish pride imposes upon us in order to do the things that God intends for us to do. Peter was probably more surprised than anybody was when Ananias died. It was actually God who did the deed and did the judgment. Doesn't that seem harsh? Not really. God often delays his righteous judgment. But in this case, God determined that Ananias virtually In all of the other cases, Ananias simply could not live in the atmosphere of purity that marked the church at that time. God acted because this was such a critical time for the early church, and the scandal had to be dealt with. Satan had infiltrated the church, and if not dealt with swiftly, the attack of the enemy could have corrupted the entire church. While it was still yet in its infancy, the church was vulnerable, and God protected it. Isn't that something that God cares so much about his church, that he died for a church. Acts 20 and 28 says, God purchased the church with his own blood, with his own blood. He said, preach, preach it. Go into the pulpit and feed the church which he had purchased with his own blood. I'm getting to a point a little later because when the Bible said when all of that that happened about that, Three hours later when Sapphira came in. Let's go to Acts chapter 5 verse 12 so I can hear you. And by the hands of the apostles, there were many signs and many wonders that were wrought among the people. Wait a minute. We go right out of this purging of the church into a time of miracles. Can you see that? I mean, we're looking right here at the front of it. And it says Ananias and Sapphira and tells the story. And then it just suddenly picks up on the narrative that God started doing miracles. That God started doing great things and people started getting healed and God started opening doors that had been tightly shut and God started doing exciting and great things because the church had been purged and purified and then the Holy Spirit began doing great things. Isn't that uncommon to us? Yeah. Yeah that God would do those kind of things the hands of the apostles I wonder why God just chose to use the apostles during that time we call it the apostolic period and many believe that miracles stopped at that point when apostles died I don't believe that I don't believe that because apostles died that God stopped working or God stopped healing or God stopped forgiving or God stopped doing great things I believe God still does great things don't you I believe he still does and when people started getting healed great things started happening in Acts chapter 5 verse 13 he said and the rest there's no man joined to them but the people magnified them in other words the influence of the church gained the respect and the influence of those outside the church the church won adherence to the faith by people that weren't believers because of these great things God was doing and God was doing them because the church had become zealous about the things of the Lord, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, added to the Lord, added to the Lord. You know, when the church reaches people, they're added to the Lord. When people are converted, they're added to the Lord. When people receive a new birth in the Lord Jesus and washed in his blood, they are added to the Lord. Isn't that great? Acts chapter five, verse 15. And they brought the sick out in the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Can you say that with me? And they were all healed. Why? They brought sick people out of the streets so that people that preached Jesus and were anointed could pray for them and they were all healed? I wonder if one Sunday we could tell all of Aniston, bring all your sick people and put them on the curb. When we dismiss church this morning, our folks are going to drive down through the streets of Aniston, and as As we pray for them, they'll be healed. What a strange announcement that would be, wouldn't it? What a strange, uh, there'd be a lot of folks come out on the curb just to see what that was all about. Well, Dwight Moody said, get on fire for God and people will come watch you burn. I believe that if God, somebody said, we just need an old fashioned miracle, Brother Jerry. No, we need an up to date miracle. I know about all the old-fashioned miracles. I'd like to have a 2019 miracle, wouldn't you? I'd like to give you a 2019 miracle. Well, last Sunday was a week ago when I was here and Finchie prayed down here. She went to the doctor this last week. And the doctor said, well, I must have been mistaken. She's perked up and she's running around. Louie's the sick one now and paling and moaning and groaning, but she's perked up, cooking dumplings and collards and calling, you want some cornbread and doing all kinds of stuff now. And the doctor looked at her and said, you're not supposed to be like this. You're supposed to be worse, not better. Yeah, Finchy said, yeah, in three weeks, I'm supposed to be dead according to you. You see, if you believe this stuff like she does. Debbie was, said she was down there the other night and spent the night with them and she heard them talking in there and she said, Man. one of them said, well, what in the world are we gonna do? And the other one said, well, we're just gonna trust the Lord. We're just gonna trust the Lord. Yeah, that's what Jerry, you, you know about trusting the Lord? Anybody in this house know about just trust the Lord? Yeah. Anybody in this house ever come to a place in your life where you just trusted the Lord, where no no matter what everybody else said, what the doctor said, and what the uh, radiologist said, and the MRI read, and the CAT scan said, you just said, I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Have you ever come to that place that you just said, I'm going to trust the Lord. Going to believe God. Just going to trust God. Just trust God. Hey, God is able to confound the wisdom of the mighty. God is able to give deliverance. So they brought the sick out in the streets and laid them in the beds and couches. And they were healed, all of them. Every one of them were healed. Brought the sick out. And how many of them were healed? All. I just wanted to hear you say it one more time. Now, listen. Every time God starts revival, every time God starts moving, the devil launches an attack. Say the next verse. Next verse. Listen at it. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. We would just say that he was furious. Furious. Wait a minute. The previous verse said that everybody got healed. The next verse says that the most religious person in the city was furious. The high priest was furious and filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Brother, Doing right, preaching the gospel, doing what the Lord tells you to do might sometime wind you up in prison. You might find yourself at odds with magistrates and with judges and in this case some very religious people. They laid their hands on them, not to pray for them for sure, and they put them in the common prison. Sometimes when it seems like the devil is winning and you get put in prison, filled with indignation, these people breathe out threatenings. But look at the next verse. Say next verse. verse. But the angel of the Lord. They put them in prison, but the angel of the Lord. Now you may not believe in angels, but the angel of the Lord, what the angel do? The angel of the Lord opened up the door. Woo! Satan doesn't have a prison cell that'll hold you. Satan can't make a chain that'll bind you. Satan can't have an island to isolate you on but what the angel of the Lord will come to your rescue and come to your aid. Preaching the gospel, spreading the word, got prisoned, got locked up, but the angel of the Lord, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He heals them all. He delivers them all. The angel of the Lord opened the door. the jail and brought them out. Have you been brought out? Has the devil ever announced, I've got you? But the angel came and brought you out? Has the devil ever told you you're dead and don't matter and you're down for the count and you're a loser and you're a failure and you've lost it all and you're a nobody and you've got nothing left? But the angel brought you out. Have you ever been brought out? I'm so glad he brought me out, aren't you? I'm so glad that, that God found me in my distress and he brought me out. Hallelujah. That angel brought them out. The angel of the Lord. Of course, it was easy for God to arrange Angels are ministering spirits that are sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. Hebrews 1, 14. Have you got a ministering spirit? Is there an angel close by? The Bible said, the angels of the Lord encampeth around about those that love him. You don't see them, but all around here today, there are angels. Camping out. Over at your house, you may not see them, but there are angels camping out. Down there where you work, you may not see them, but there are angels camping out. For the angels of the Lord encampeth around about those that love him and those that fear him. Gary, can you imagine that down there at Austin's body shop that there are angels camped out down there? Can you imagine, Marie, that over there at that house where you live, angels are camped out? Well, it either is or it ain't. And the Bible said it is. That angels of the Lord encampeth around about those that love him and those that fear him. You mean the Lord the Bible said he has assigned his angel lest you dash your foot against the stone. Hallelujah. Angels are ministering spirits that God has given to all of those who inherit salvation. Well, they're not only set free but they are set free for a purpose. And you know what that purpose is? To go and stand in the temple and preach the gospel and preach the wonderful words of life. Wow. Wow. Well, I just got arrested for doing that. We'll go back and do it again. Yeah. But I just got thrown in jail, and angel just got me out of that mess. We'll go get back in the mess again. Yes, sir. When J.W. Buckaloo came to Alabama City and Gadsden, in Alabama and put up an old tent over there off of Megan, between Megan and Forest Avenue. Gadsden Times records that as many as 3,000 people a night came out to that tent to hear that evangelist preach a Pentecostal message. Three drunk policemen staggered under that tent one night and arrested Brother Buckaloo and took him to jail, burned his tent to the ground. Told him, said, you leave town and don't you ever preach that message in this town ever again. He said, as sure as you turn me loose, I'll go stand in those ashes, and I'll preach tonight. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying God still got some people. God still got some children. That though the angel led me out of that mess yesterday, I'll go step back in that mess tomorrow if God says go preach. If God says, go down there to the temple, do you know what's at the temple? Priests are at the temple. They're the one that's bad. They're the ones that's got the control of things. They're the one that had us jailed, had us locked up. You want me to go over to the temple and preach? Go to the temple and preach. And the Bible said they found Solomon's porch and gathered there and started preaching. Listen to the narrative. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early the next morning and talked. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the sin to the children of Israel and sent to the prison and have them brought out. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told the high priest saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors but when we had opened we found nobody in there now can you imagine a high priest saying go get those folks that we had jailed yesterday and bring them over here and the soldiers go over to arrest them to the prison and the prison is locked and the stewards are still standing guard but they're not in there what kind of an excuse is that They weren't there. About as poor as that excuse when they told him to go arrest Jesus, wasn't it? And the Bible said the soldiers went back and told him, never a man spake like this man. I went over there to arrest him, but his words, his words that he spoke did something to me. I know I ought to have a better excuse, but the only excuse I've got is never a man spake like this man. I'm sorry I couldn't do my duty. You sent me to arrest him, but I couldn't arrest him because he preached too powerful. He preached too anointed. Oh, isn't it wonderful that God can do things that make Satan look so foolish, that God can open doors, that God can raise the dead. God can do great things. When the devil thinks he's got the upper hand, God usually makes a fool out of the devil, doesn't he? The prison we found shut. You know, my daddy used to trap. When I was a a little boy, I would go with him to run his traps. I think you've trapped some, had not you, done? And he'd carry me in his arms, and he'd have a stick, and he'd find a slick place where a mink was sliding down off the bank. And he'd go over there and he'd drive his pole down in the... Granny wouldn't get out on the bank because a mink could smell him. So he'd get out there in the water and he'd nail that, that, drive that stick down and he'd slide that ring on that trap. And he'd get down there and he'd pull that trap out and set it. And he'd put dirt and he'd put leaves and stuff over it. And I can remember, though a little boy, I would go with dad to run his traps. And I remember one particular occasion when he walked up and an old mink was sitting there with his foot caught in the trap, and he was sitting up on, standing up on a log, and daddy said, good morning, Mr. Mink.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> gotcha. But it would be a real sad thing when my dad would find his trap sprung but the mink had got away. Isn't it something that when the devil thinks he's got a surefire plan that'll make you quit? When the devil comes up with a scheme and he comes up with some kind of a plan that he knows if I just get him right here, I'll trick him, I'll catch him in this one. But every time when he runs his traps, he finds out the angel has brought him out, that God has made a way. I want to tell you, the devil can't hold a child of God. A whale can't keep a plan that's anointed of God to preach a message. He can't hold him either. He'll burp him out. Oh, yeah, he will. That lion den that the devil thought will kill Daniel, when he came down, he found out Daniel had, had said the angel of the Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions. When Nebuchadnezzar put the people in the fiery furnace, they said a fourth man was in the fire. You see, the devil doesn't have a trap. He doesn't have anything that would be successful to defeat a child of God. There's no prison that can hold him. There's no grave that can hold our Savior. Our Savior rose from the dead triumphant. He beat the devil. He beat death. He beat hell. He beat the grave. He says to all of us, because I live, ye shall live also. Wow. Wow. Now when the high priest, verse 24, And the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. And then came one of them and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're preaching, and they're teaching the people. And then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. They went back to arrest them another time. And this time they didn't treat them so bad when they brought them back over and presented them to the priest. They brought them this time without violence. There was no kind of opposition to them going. And when they had brought them, they set them before this council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we command you that you should not teach in this name of Jesus? And behold, now you have filled all of Jerusalem with your doctrine. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Listen at the change of the tune. You're going to make it look like we assassinated and killed Jesus. You're going to make it like, look like the, you're going to bring his blood upon us. We told you not to preach that anymore. We told you to not not ever teach or preach that in this city. And now you have filled the whole city with your doctrine. Lord, have mercy. Doris, we've been here 100 years, but we hadn't filled this whole city with the doctrine. My Lord, can you imagine what a statement that was to tell that preacher You have filled this whole city with your doctrine. And the strangest statement to me is they wondered whereunto it would grow. My Lord, the answer is as plain as the nose on your face. Just look. If the whole city is full of the doctrine of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, then you don't have to wonder where it's going to grow. It's already grown out beyond where you could ever estimate. So they brought them in before the chief priest and before the council I'm hurrying up because I know you got to get somewhere Acts chapter 5 verse 29 then Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than you you've told us not to preach anymore God said go stand in the temple and preach that decision is not hard for us to make we're going to obey God I want to tell you something. It's right for you to respect and abide by the laws of our land, but when those laws contradict God's laws, you obey God instead of obeying man. Our country may say it's legal and all right to kill unborn babies. But just because it's legal, that don't mean that we're going to abide by that. We're going to obey God and not man. It may be legal for you to go drink till you drink yourself silly, but we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey man. It may be legal, but it's not God. Amen. They may legalize marijuana, but we're not going to listen. It may be legal, but we're going to obey God. Amen. We're going to stand up for the principles of the Judeo-principle lifestyle and we're going to preach that and teach that. Yes. We're going to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew and you hanged on a tree. The Greek word is xoxion and it literally means Wood. Now, you need to understand this boldness. This man says, this is a powerful man. This is the chief priest, the most respected, revered man in Israel. And he says, you're not going to act like that we. And Peter said, you're the one that slew him, and you're the one that hung him on a tree. Now, why did he say a tree? Because an Old Testament term, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he said, cursed is everyone that is hung upon a tree. And that same word is used for the cross. He came bearing his cross to a place called Golgotha. While xylon was used in antiquity and the Septuagint for various words for a tree, wood of any kind, various as objects, including a gallows, it is used in the New Testament for the cross of Jesus. We are witnesses to these things and also is the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 33, I'm trying to quit. Come on, Connor, and help me. Verse 33. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And then stood there one up in the council, a Pharisee. And he was a very respected Pharisee. In fact, his dad was Hilly L, who was one of the most respected of them all. And Gamaliel literally means our teacher, our rabbi. Then stood up Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people. He commanded to put these apostles forth a little place. And he said, take them back down in another room. We need to talk. And when he sent the apostles away, he got up on his podium and he said, listen, brethren, you better be very careful how you handle these men. Does your Bible say these are not just ordinary men? Is that what it says? These are no ordinary men. But I I, I wish the time could come again when people would look at the church and say those are not ordinary people. I would to God that the time would come that the church would be so zealous, Brother Ford, and be so anointed and be so filled with enthusiasm that the world would look at the church and say those aren't just ordinary people. Not ordinary people. He said, be careful, ye men of Israel. Take heed to yourselves. What you intend to do is touching these men. For before these days, there was another guy, said he was Messiah. His name was Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man, there rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing. He drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. He said, if it's of God, you can't fight it anyway. If it's of God, you can kill this one, but he'll raise up three in his place. He said, This is of, if this is of God he will not be defeated because you kill one preacher. There are places in the world where people are dying for their faith. We're so blessed to live where we live. In countries in Central and South America where civil war is raging, people are being killed because of their faith. At one time we we had 258 missionaries killed in one assembly period, 2-year period. That's people that said if God said go preach, I'll go preach. And they paid the ultimate sacrifice with their life. You know, when Brother Henson was the general director, he told a story about being down in in Peru. And he told about going and visiting there and and preaching uh, in the pastor's conferences there. And he came back to America and he was addressing a large group. And he said to several of those people what an inspiration it was for him to fly over the site where Nate Saint and four other missionaries were killed by the Akka Indians because of their faith. And he said, it was just so, such a blessing to me to fly over the place where Nate, Nate Saint died. A man stood up in the congregation and he said, Brother Henson, he said, I was present the night Nate Saint died. He said, You were in Peru? He said, no. We were in an auditorium in Ohio. Canton, Ohio. And he said the minister preached about commitment to God. And he said, I walked down the aisle beside Nate Saint. And I knelt in the altar beside him and I heard the last words he said before he died. He said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. Lord, I'll preach what you want me to preach. I'll be what you want me to be. He said, you see, Brother Henson, that was the night that Nate Saint died. Peru was just the place where he took off. (laughs) Hallelujah. Just the place where he took off. I'm praying that God would speak to somebody this morning and say to somebody this morning, will you be what I want you to be? Can I use your life? Can I take your life and use you for my glory? Can I take your life and use you for the salvation of souls? Can I I use you to bless people and touch people? Can I have permission to come aboard the ship of your life? Stand with me, please. The last verse of that chapter, I'll just go straight to it. After a beating, the apostles went right back to preaching. And the Bible said, and when they were scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere preaching the word. I want to tell you, Harvest, the greatest thing that we can do for our world, the greatest thing that we can do for our our families, our neighbors, our friends, is to get the word to them that Jesus saves and Jesus heals that Jesus is right for whatever is wrong. Of all the things this church does, gives food to hungry, we bless a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but the greatest blessing that we can be is to tell somebody that Jesus is the answer. That's the greatest gift we can give to anybody. I wonder if we could just gather right here for a closing prayer this morning. Can you come up here just a minute and let me love on you a little? Come with zeal and enthusiasm. (laughs) You know, the Bible said, do everything, do all to the glory of God. And he said, whatever your hand finds to do, just walk along haphazardly and maybe it'll happen. Is that what it said? Don't you let me get away with that. That's not what it says. Cindy Fox finished that. Whatever your hand finds to do, all your might. All your might. Look at your neighbor and say, all your might. All your might. That means every fiber, every sinew, every cell in this body, Whatever my hand finds to do, do it with all the energy and faith that I can muster. Wow, what a statement that is. Isn't that something? Do all to the glory of God. And whatever you do, do it with all your might. I want us to pray a prayer this morning. You ready to pray? Dear Lord Jesus, I've heard your word, it spoke to my heart, it found a place. In my spirit, I don't intend to lose it. And in Jesus' name, I pledge to you right now that I am all in, 100%, all my might, and I accept the fact that you died for me and you died for everyone else. And I want to be used of God to help somebody. Find Jesus. Provide opportunities. And I will supply the person and the witness. In Jesus' name, I want to be what you would have me be. And I will serve you with all my might. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Woo! Praise God. You know, back when we were on television all over the world a few years ago, we reached a lot of people, and I prayed very simple prayers just like that with you. A lady called me from Bay Minette not long ago, and she never knew her dad to be a, a prayer warrior or a person that was very religious, and he was about to pass and about to die. And she asked him, Heath, she said to him, Dad, is everything all right between you and God? He said, Yes, it is. She said, well, I never knew anything about you ever going to church and everything. He said, there was a man that was on television from Anniston, Alabama, and said he prayed a prayer one night when he got through preaching. And he said, I prayed with him when he prayed. And said, that night, Jesus came into my heart. Jesus came into my heart. I think, Doc, that when we get to heaven, I believe we're going to find a lot of folks just like that. Carlos, I believe there will be folks in heaven that will come around to some of you and tell you, I got saved because you gave and you were willing to obey the Lord and were a part of ministry that reached me. Oh, praise God. Won't heaven be a wonderful place if walls weren't jasper and streets weren't gold? Still, I'll see everything I've been longing to see because Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Jesus and all the redeemed will be what makes it heaven for me. I want to be there, don't you? I want to be there. I want to be there. And I want this church to be a church that is a lighthouse, that we send messages out. I'm glad Eric's doing what he's doing and reaching people all over the world. And they know about a church here at Aniston, Alabama, that preaches and prays with people at the close of the service. And I hope that people continue to get blessed by that, Chris. I hope all over the world people are touched by that. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house this morning. And thank you for this prayer of commitment. And I ask you to go with us to our homes and our families and give us a a great Lord's Day all day. And Lord, don't let this this words that we've said today depart from our mouth. And don't let this feeling, O Lord, of consciousness, of the Spirit's presence, don't let that leave us, God. For without your Spirit, we're null and void and we're empty. We need you, God. Go with us to our homes. Give us an enjoyable day with our family. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Shake hands and be friendly. And you be friendly whether you shake hands or not. God go with you is our prayer.